0: Welcome to AEC Marketing for Principles, brought to you by Smartigys, where we help design and construction firms navigate sales and leverage marketing to win more projects. Here are your hosts, Katie Cash and Judy Sparks.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to the AEC for Marketing Principles podcast. I'm your host, Katie Cash. Happy to be sitting here today with my partner in strategy, also my boss, Ms. Judy Sparks. Judy, You know, you and I have been together for a while um, along our professional journeys working for various firms before we started working together at the agency. And what stands out most to me is along this 10-year journey, we have had the opportunity to work with some of the best, most prestigious design and construction firms across the U.S., even across the Americas, across the world, and It is so challenging to be confronted with the same question time and time again from these principals, from these construction executives, asking about sales and marketing and really questioning why there is such a skills gap. And so today, I thought maybe you and I could share our story, our observations, and hopefully share some ideas with our listeners to help them better understand the realities of the marketing skills gap within the design and construction space.
0: Absolutely, Katie. I think that's really well said. Um, I think that the biggest um, challenge that we face as marketing consultants is helping our C-suite audience understand that in other industries, even other business-to-business environments where you are selling a service versus a product, that the same marketing principles and expectations that marketers at a consumer products company are faced with apply to our business. And I think that the reason why there's such a big skills gap is that it wasn't that long ago that the idea of advertising or marketing was literally illegal for architects to do. Um, it's just been in the uh, last you know, three decades that particularly professional services firms um, have been able legally to go-to-market in a commercial type of way. So that coupled... uh Uh-huh, go ahead. (laughs) I was just going to
1: say, you know, whenever I'm talking with peers or with clients or um, other agencies, they're always shocked to know that there were such legal ramifications for professional service firms to even advertise their business within Yellow Pages. Just, you know, like you mentioned, 30 years ago, a person ago. That's just one generation ago. Right. Um, So, you know, having been you know, going to school for marketing, obtaining, you know, professional licenses in that um, or certifications for inbound marketing, account-based marketing, all these really great marketing philosophies, and then learning quickly that this industry really thinks about marketing in a totally different light.
0: Absolutely. And I think that there's a couple of reasons that's occurred. Uh, One is for a long time, like we said, it was prohibited. But once that prohibition was lifted and the laws changed and uh, licensing boards agreed, yes, this is a commercial endeavor, and yes, you should be able to advertise your services just like any other industry, I think then we didn't really see a lot of professional service firms jumping on the bandwagon to do so uh, simply because there was a stigma attached to that idea and there was a lack of need. I mean, most firms have built their businesses around a relationship-based sales model. And really until technology enabled the scalability of of forging relationships in a digital environment, the art of winning new business for a lot of these professionals really required them to take great care in networking and identifying potential business opportunities with people that um, they would then build long, long-term relationships with. And the decisions to award a firm uh, work was really based on how strong that relationship was. So it's not surprising that then when you look inside these companies that, you know, the pathway to principle often landed With not necessarily your strongest designer or your smartest engineer, but rather with that person who was able to bring new business uh, to the firm. So that has served our industry. That model has served our industry really well for a long time. So what changed? Um, What are you hearing from your clients about why that relationship game is not as effective as it used to be? Well,
1: you know, to play devil's advocate a little bit before I go directly to answering that question, I do want to, you know, point out that relationships are important regardless of your professional service line, I would imagine. I would imagine that they are, you know, uniquely important to financial advisors. They're also important to law firms, but we've seen those B2B industries really grasp the benefit and the value behind adopting a marketing-driven philosophy. I've, I mean, I drive down the interstate every day and I see ads and billboards for that matter for all kinds of different attorneys, you see them on the TV, you hear them on the radio. I mean, they are using all the different distribution channels um, that mainstream, you know, business-to-consumer brands have used for years. That our industry in design and construction really haven't even tapped into yet. And I do think that there still is a little bit of stigma about, you know, not wanting to um, go after and position. Um, themselves or their their brand for work there's still kind of this idea that my portfolio should get me to the table and Mr. client it's your pleasure that you get to work with me because I produce such great work. But to go back to your question, you know, what are my clients and our clients asking of us as they are addressing this really big challenge of growing their brand one relationship one person at a time, what we're seeing kind of starting to move the needle is really on the digital application front when it comes to marketing tactics. And what I mean by that is looking at their websites as more than just a portfolio piece, considering it as a extension of their brand, of their customer experience, of their sales staff and marketing staff that's always on, using it as a way to track leads or potential partners um, by utilizing maybe... um, content offers or unique landing pages. I've also seen some clients start to adopt more of an inbound strategy when they are addressing thought leadership pieces on their blog or on their website. Um, but really, it's just slowly starting to become part of the conversation, quite honestly. And, and you know, I feel a lot of that is being driven by you and I and other agencies like us kind of asking the hard question. Of these principles and of these um, executives, you know, hey, this has worked for you for a really long time. That's great. But times they are changing. This is an on demand society these days where everything is connected. And don't you want to kind of get your message out there, control that message before you start to knock on doors and take people golfing and, and entertaining to w- even understand if they might be interested in your services?
0: I think you're exactly right. I also think that the other thing that's happening in our industry is just a lot of the names that you see on the doors of these professional service firms, whether they're architecture firms, program management companies, construction companies, or um, engineering firms, is that 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 first generation or second generation of leadership that is leading that company now is um, starting to think about their successor and they're starting to think about their plan for the brand that they have worked very hard to build to outlive themselves. And the second generation or the next generation of leadership, they network differently. You know, they grew up in a very technology rich age and they communicate differently. When you look at our own young staff, Katie, you know, there's a 10-year separation between me and you, and then there's a 10-year separation between you and some of our newest employees, the way we even communicate internally has changed. We're using, you know, apps and um, messaging tools, and we're communicating more thoroughly, faster, and with, um, in multiple ways, you know, verbally, written, visually. And so, I think that you know, the idea of building these one-to-one relationships with this next generation of leadership that's been really focused operationally is very challenging. But I think the willingness to adopt great networking skills through vehicles like LinkedIn or Facebook or even simply networking um, through paid campaigns um Either outbound or inbound is a much more comfortable thing for this next generation of leadership to embrace.
1: Well, and I think um, for a lot of our listeners, I know certainly for a lot of clients that we've worked with in the past and a lot of industry professionals that I've just been um, introduced to over the years, there is still this great confusion about what is sales and what is marketing. (laughs) and what is business development and you know why don't you take a minute and just break it down like let's let's lay it on the table let's make it clear as can be and then i really want to dive into what is the skills gap and how can that affect a firm's in-house expectations of what their in-house team should be doing
0: okay so i think that you know i am a big believer in the kiss method keep it simple stupid so There are a lot of definitions out there between what is the difference between sales and marketing. Because you're right, in our industry, Katie, the majority of principals that are at the helm of these firms, large and small, use those terms interchangeably. And the way that I have been able to help our customers understand the difference is simply by saying sales are things that you do one to one. You take someone out for dinner, golfing, some sort of client entertainment, you meet with them face-to-face, you call them, you email them, things that are happening one-to-one. Um, business development is just a polite way of saying sales. I know that some schools of thought out there um, will couple business development uh, with this nurturing aspect that, you know, it's a relationship, personalized, nurturing, but at the end of the day, it's still sales. So I use sales and business development interchangeably uh, for its application in our industry, things that you do one-to-one. Marketing, however, are things that you do one-to-many, and the one is not a person, it's a brand. And so with the digital age, firms are starting to understand that they can, one, control their message, and two, they can distribute their message in a highly targeted way um, directly to a decision-making audience at a fraction of the cost of taking someone to lunch or taking someone to dinner on a consistent basis or taking them to a sporting event. So I think that The cost of client acquisition has gotten really out of hand. Um, And what I mean by that is, you know, architects and contractors just to win a project these days have to spend so much more money to be considered. So everybody comes to the table, they're equally qualified. If you're an architecture firm, it's not uncommon for you to produce some initial concepts, some master planning, some site plans, maybe even go as far as doing renderings or 3D animated fly-throughs. If you're a contractor, you have to go through this expense of producing a BIM model, a cost estimate, a schedule, just To be considered because the owners are taking this position that if I'm going to hire you to build um, my new classroom building, I'm going to be giving you millions of dollars to do this. I need to have an indication that your mindset and your thoughts and ideas about my project are aligned with mine. And the way that you do that is demonstrate that to me in an interview. Well, that is a very expensive endeavor. And so because that's become so commonplace, I think a lot of our CEOs are saying, where are opportunities where we can save dollars on sales and marketing initiatives on the during the sales cycle? Because once we get invited to the table, it becomes a really expensive proposition. So they're being more selective and they want to do more things that are one-to-many rather than one-to-one.
1: So let's talk about the other question I think you and I get on a daily basis, which is, why can't my in-house team be more proactive? I feel like they're only reactive. And um, you and I have both been in-house. We've been the proposal coordinators. Um, You've been an in-house chief marketing officer for international design build firm. So what is the reality of being in-house at a design and
0: construction firm in today's marketplace? Well, I feel like the marketplace skipped a step and they forgot to tell the in-house people. And it's really not their fault. I mean, you see me every single day advocating, being the voice and being the advocate for that in-house group. I'll tell you, Katie, I've never met a group of people that are harder working than your in-house marketing professionals at a design and construction industry. These individuals are usually in a position to... Um, put together a final product that makes the difference whether or not a firm gets selected or doesn't get selected, but they are handcuffed with zero authority. Um, Most of the sources for the content they need are billable. So um, you know we we talk about seller doers, which I'm sure we'll we'll have another episode just on that subject. But the truth is is most of our industry is comprised of doer sellers. Or just straight up doers. So when you're trying to get a proposal out the door or a um, presentation finalized for a big pitch, um, you're at the mercy of that doer seller or that doer giving you the technical information that you need. Um, At the end of the day, the in house marketing people did not go to college to be an architect or an engineer or a contractor. Um, And the in house billable subject matter expert did not go to college to be a marketer. So we haven't really as an industry done done a very good job empowering the marketing group beyond their responsibilities of putting these books together and these presentations together. There are often aspirations like oh let's do a newsletter, let's do something in the realm of corporate c- communications, but you know, I know firms that are hundreds of people that have three in-house marketing people. That doesn't happen in any other industry. Um, And if it does, it's because the in-house people are augmented by an outside agency. So So, are
1: you saying other industries have more robust um, marketing teams or that our industry seems to have more?
0: What I'm saying is that other industries, if they choose to keep all of their marketing in-house without the supplement of an agency, by far their teams are more robust. Um, for industries where their in-house team is supplemented by an outside agency, they may have smaller numbers in-house. But regardless, they recognize that whether you're doing the work in-house with your own people or you're outsourcing or supplementing with an outside firm, that there's still a recognition of the bandwidth that's required to produce that output. So typically, I see most firms um, staffed uh, just to support the reactive nature of what comes with the territory. They're not properly staffed for the proactive things that A lot of CEOs are asking for.
1: Well, I think at the end of the day, I mean, it doesn't matter how many people you put in your marketing team or how much you really want them to be proactive about things. At the end of the day, it's on the marketing team staff in-house oftentimes to um, prepare the RFQs and RFPs because that is just a function of procurement in our space. It's not going to go away. Um, It's always going to be there. And you know some efforts are more robust than others. You know, some of it it might be as simple as you know, slapping some resumes and project sheets together. But a lot of firms are putting a lot of thought, a lot of energy, and certainly a lot of time in crafting these you know, semi-custom responses to owners' requests for qualifications and requests for proposals. And I thought it was interesting what you just mentioned earlier, that a lot of other industries, or maybe it's all other industries, even, you know, B2B, B2C, they have found a way to make the churn work internally and with external resources. But I know when you and I are meeting with clients for the first time, or we are at industry networking events, There's often this look of surprise and sometimes a look of concern that comes across when we tell them, you know, we're a full-service marketing agency that specializes in design and construction because for a long time, and I think we still kind of battle with this today depending on the brand's. It's a challenging conversation to help those principals and those executives make the leap that marketing is more than just proposals and that they can even do proposals with an outside agency, with a freelancer, you know, with someone part-time. They don't have to have someone sitting down the hallway, you know, chained to their desk 24 hours a day. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about this idea of outsourcing what are other industry models and best practices and kind of what, what are some of those common questions that, that you're faced on a daily basis when it comes to the idea of outsourcing?
0: Well, I think you hit it on the head. I think that the first challenge is really believing that it could be done. Um, the production of particularly RFQs and RFPs in the design and construction industry has been an in-house function from the very beginning. In fact, I remember starting in the industry 25 years ago and even the idea of a marketing coordinator was somewhat new. Uh, Usually it was your most computer savvy administrative assistant that would help these principals put together what they called marketing materials. So it's really, um, like you said, the product itself has evolved dramatically where you're putting together really custom Pieces of work, and if you're doing that in house, um, you really should consider all of the skills that are required to pull that off. So, if you have um, several or even just one RFP going on, uh, first and foremost, you need someone that's going to be the project manager of that process. Everybody else has other another day job. You know, they're a superintendent, they're a designer, they're an engineer. They have. Um, other responsibilities beyond this deadline. So you need to have someone with very strong project management and internal communication skills. There is a gift or an art to asking people to meet your deadline um, and realizing that deadline uh, when you don't have the authority over that person. So I think that that usually is a major pain point for the internal groups is oftentimes they're chasing people with information that are above their pay grade. So that's difficult to begin with. And then you, you should realize that, uh, these owners, uh, for the most part, whether they're private developers or they are, uh, corporate retailers or they are public sector entities, uh, they typically, Are habitual buyers of the service that you provide. So they can spot boilerplate from a mile away and they really don't appreciate um, when firms put something together that looks like it could go to anybody. So you really need to have somebody with some strong journalistic skills, um, someone who can interview a subject matter expert and write the information in a way that informs influences and entertains their audience. Um, I often think about the poor guy on the procurement side on the other side of the table that has to read the 30 submittals that hit his desk along with his day job.
1: What? You don't he- think that that's everybody's dream is to <laughs> sit up and read about
0: I don't know, Katie. <laughs> I love that. Let me tell you <laughs> how great it is. So we, um, so Adam, you know, so so far we've just talked about two skill sets, and then it has to look visually appealing because there's a lot of messaging going on these days: emails, um, project logs, narratives, blog posts. There's a lot of messaging. You get LinkedIn invites. I mean, people are inundated with content, so the content that you produce needs to really be easy, concise. And given that we're in the design and construction industry, visually, it needs to look great. So here now we need somebody with some graphic design and, um, and some, you know, I, I guess I could say design DNA uh, within them. So it's really hard to find one person that has all those skills, time management, project management, communication skills, um, writing, journalistic skills and design skills. I mean, that if, if we can find this unicorn, I would like for them to come work for us. Yeah. So I think that one flaw is a lot of firms that are, especially the smaller and mid-sized firms, they have a person or maybe two people that take a product linearly from beginning to end. So one of the things, if you're in-house, and you and I lived this when we were in-house, is you really need to have specialists in each of those Um, disciplines, writing, project management, and design, to collaborate together because what you'll see is their portion of the job will get done a lot faster because that's what they specialize in. And the collaborative collective effort with the three of them will be faster than one person taking a linear approach. So from an outsourcing standpoint, how do you supplement that? Well, you know, I think that there's a lot of agencies like ours that specialize in this niche, and we come with a baseline understanding of the built environment. So, that's really important. Um, We understand, you know, where an architect falls in the food chain, where a MEP engineer um, falls in the grand scheme of a project. We have a solid understanding of the, the the business that our client is in. We also have a really solid understanding of the vertical that they're competing in. So I think that for those that are thinking about outsourcing, you really need to pick an agency that understands your business because, you know, at the International Design Build Firm where you and I work together, Katie, you might remember we had a 30-person sales and marketing team in-house, but I still had three agencies on retainer. And I spent the majority of my time educating those agencies on our business. And the conversation started with what is design, bid, build? And that's just a lot of work. So I would say if you're going to outsource, you got to find an agency that understands your business. Secondly, you need to find an agency that has multiple disciplines where they have the project manager looking after your deadline and coordinating the details. They have a graphic designer that understands design and has strong design DNA that's appropriate for you and your audience. And you need an agency that has the strong content skills because even when you ask your technical people to write, and I'm going to pick on my engineers for a moment, um, the engineers write that we work with write just very very accurate documents but it lacks the influence and their and the entertain component i would add too that
1: oftentimes um they forget to abide by the page limits and so you know um our engineers are very good at documentation and being thorough and including all kinds of information in their specifications. But yeah, it might take you three pages to understand, yes, Mr.
0: Client, we've done this before, you know? Right, right. So so someone that has the... Op- ability to take that technical speak and translate it in such a way that somebody on the receiving end would actually engage and want to read that content I mean that's a special skill set so I would argue that the clients that have converted uh, from in-house production models to outsource production models great you know with the caveat that they have hired a firm with those qualifications are much happier um, and the Best way that I can describe why they're much happier is to quote one of our clients that said, you know, it's just sometimes a lot easier to be the client instead of the boss. And so when you're outsourcing, you become the customer and your vendor is really, if they're good at what they do, they're very concerned that not only is the product good, but that customer experience is exceptional along the way as well.
1: I think that's great, you know I um for our listeners out there, I hope that today's discussion has been helpful. Hopefully it's been informative. We hope you we entertained you a little bit along the way. if we um leave you today with some advice, Judy, what do you want to leave our principals and the project executives that are on the other end of this listening?
0: I think that principles the first step is to be open to asking the question. Are we doing it right? Just because we've always done it this way, is it the right way? A lot in this world has changed. You know, buying habits have changed, um, procurement has changed, the competitive landscape has changed, the political landscape has changed. So one would naturally think that maybe the way we've always gone about marketing um, could stand to evolve as well. So just because you've always done it a certain way, um, be open to the idea that there's a better way. You know, there's a better way to do a resume. There's a better way to do a project sheet. Is there a better way to approach your interview? Is there a better way to reach your audience? And I think that the other big Takeaway would be don't assume that it's going to cost you more money. Um, With the change means that you're going to stop doing some things and you can allocate the appropriate budget because instead of going to this golf tournament that you have gone to for years and years and years, uh, that you're really not sure what the risk would be if you stopped going, maybe you could take those dollars and allocate them to you know, an idea of an ad campaign or a digital campaign or outsource your um, proposal, your next proposal, if for no other reason than to get a fresh template out of it that you could, that you could use going forward with your in-house team. So I guess, you know, to take a page from the book of Apple, think different would be my advice. Great.
1: Well, everybody out there in listening land, this has been the AEC Marketing for Principles podcast, where we pick your brain, and we talk to the industry leaders, and we hit hard subjects, helping you win as you pursue work with a diverse group of owners in an ever competitive marketplace. Thanks for listening. Hope to see you again soon.
0: You've been listening to AEC Marketing for Principles, brought to you by SmartyG's. If you like this episode, please let us know by visiting aecmarketingpodcast.com, where you can learn more ways to position your brand and sell to owners.